1: Hello, and welcome to Ask Wildman. My name is Miles Bassett. This is a question and answer show uh, designed to answer any and all questions you have about business, technology, marketing. We'll try to get to anything and everything you want to ask us here. Uh, we're on here every week, Wednesdays at 11, so feel free to join us anytime. If you have any questions, throw them in the comments below or email us at askwildman@wildmanweb.com. at wildmanweb.com. Uh, and we'll try to get to you as soon as possible. Uh, joining me today, as always, my friend Mike. Mike, how you doing?
0: I'm fantastic, Miles. If I was doing any better, I'd probably be dreaming. How are you today?
1: I'm doing good. Moving into June. This has been one yes. hell of a year here. It's like I can't believe it's already June, and I, I can't believe it's only June somehow. <laughs> I, don't I know, know how, how you feel. Things work. I know how and you I'm feel. Yeah. Sure. Well I'm not the only June. one there. All right. Let's get this thing going. Uh, like I said, this is Ask Wildman. So please throw your questions in the comments. Uh, email us at Ask Wildman at WildmanWeb.com. But I think today we're going to get going on a, uh, a sort of a recurring question we've gotten over the last week and take it a little bit more general and go into budgeting. Always talking with clients and friends and other business owners. Uh, the dreaded question always comes to you know, how much money is this going to cost, how much should I put towards these things, whether we're talking about websites or apps or marketing campaigns or SEO, the big budgeting question is always there. So I think we're going to try to hit some of those things, uh, dispel some myths about it and try to clean some things up around you know, just crafting a budget around some of these projects so starting off i think we're just going to go a little bit high level general marketing uh mike i'll let you take this a little bit and then we can move into more specific projects to websites and apps and some of the uh costs you might think about incurring over there but just in general with marketing we have a lot of people asking us you know how much money should i be putting towards marketing how do i even begin to craft that budget so what are your sort of beginner tips on that mike
0: Sure thing, Miles. Uh, yeah, and that is a question that we've been we've been getting especially a lot lately. Uh, and that, the good news is, there's been a lot of people, you know, starting new businesses and and starting new campaigns and things like that, uh, even in the the COVID nineteen pandemic. So uh, that's that's the positive thing. But this is definitely something you want to take a hard look at uh, whether you're starting a business or you're getting ready to start advertising for your business. And I'm, I want to keep this pretty pretty high level, because this stuff can get really complicated. And so I, I want to preference what I'm saying with, uh, you know, this, this is not a one size fits all type of a situation. Certainly, you want to uh, work with this with a professional on this, uh, because there's going to be different ways to calculate these things, depending on your business category, your margins, the lifetime value of a customer, all these type of things. Uh, are going be are gonna be heavily weighted one way or the other, depending on what type of business you have and what, what's your business model. Uh, but the first thing that we want to try to understand uh, as we're putting together a marketing budget is what of our what is our CAC? What is our cost of acquisition? And it's it's exactly what it sounds like, but it's super important. It's how many dollars do I spend in order to get a customer? And we, there's a couple of easy ways to to track this. Uh, the easiest way is to take a quarter, a year, you know, whatever time period you're looking at, and just take the amount of money that you spent on marketing and on sales, uh, and divide that by the number of new customers that you had. Uh, so just to use easy math, if you had a hundred new customers over the course of a year, and it, it cost you, you know, a thousand dollars. Uh, to get those customers, though, you did a great job by the way, and you' cutting your cost of acquisition. Uh, you t- you take that number and you divide it by hundred. Uh, now, ideally, you want to also kind of track this, the time frame that it took you to get those customers. Again, if we're just looking at it over a year period, that keeps it nice and easy., uh, but you also want to take into uh, that that into account. And then a couple of nice things as you're digging into your cost of acquisition that you want to be uh, finding out if you don't know already is in your sales process, what's your average closing, closing ratio, meaning how many leads do you need to get in order to close a sale? And over what time period does that take place? You know, if you're a realtor, for example, you may have a really long buying funnel, Uh, you may get a lead and it may take you six months on average in order to turn that into a, a uh, actual client that buys a home from you. Uh, on the other end, if you are a restaurant, you know, somebody finds out about you and they love tacos and you sell tacos, well, it may be later that afternoon they're standing there ordering tacos from you. That could be a really short uh, sales cycle. So, those are a couple of really important things that we want to understand. Uh, and again, that is just our cost of acquisition. Uh, the next thing that we want to figure out, and again, this can get really complicated. So, I'm going to try to keep it. Uh, as general as possible, is the lifetime value of a customer. What is a customer worth to me is another way to think about it. Uh, once we figure this out, we can figure out, okay, what's an appropriate amount of money in order to spend in order to get that customer. But before we understand this, we're really just kind of guessing or we're saying, well, I got five grand sitting in the bank. I don't know what to do with. So let's spend five grand. Uh, and that's how a lot of people, you know, come up with their, their marketing and advertising budgets, unfortunately. Uh, the other way that people have done it in the past, that I know I've done it in the, in the past, you know, talking five, 10 years ago with clients when we didn't have the ability to track things like we do today, is just taking an annual percentage of your revenue and devoting that towards your marketing budget. Uh, you know, the Small Business Association of America would recommend most businesses do it at about around 8%. Again, it's going to vary. Uh, you know, if you're a B2C business, you're typically going to have to spend more than a B2B. Uh, if you're a small business, you're typically going to have to spend more than a larger business in terms of percentage of revenue. But let's just take that eight percent number. So that's kind of the the old way of you, if you will, calculating these things. But with digital marketing, especially, we can actually find out what something like our lifetime value of a customer is. So, uh, real quick, how you can how you want to calculate that is what's the average uh, gross margin on a sale? And then what's my retention rate or what's my churn rate uh, of that customer? And another way to think about it is what's the life cycle of my customer? So again, just using easy math, if, a, if I figure out the average sale uh, on a customer to me is $1,000 and they stick with me for five years on average, that's my churn rate, that's my lifetime cycle of that customer. Well, then my lifetime value of that customer is $5,000. Um, and then what I can do from there is I can find out a really important number, which is what we're trying to get at, and that is the lifetime value ratio compared to your cost of acquisition. That is extremely important for you to know, uh, not only when you start a campaign, you want to have a benchmark of what that number is, even if it's slightly based on you know not great as great of data as you're going to get from the campaign, uh, and then you want to be able to track that as you go through a campaign. And the nice thing about this is that we can really see which campaigns uh, are increasing our lifetime value to our CAC ratio, which ones aren't, you know, which ones should we spend more money on, which things should we not, which products are better, which services are better uh, in terms of generating that. Uh, So the next question you're probably having is, well, what is a good ratio, you know? uh, On the CAC, first of all, when you're cutting your cost of acquisition, that is really going to depend on your business. Uh, that is going to depend on your margins. It does depend on your volume. That's going to depend on a lot of things. Uh, so I can't really give a set answer for that. Again, I would, I would work with somebody one-on-one uh, in order to calculate a good, a good, what's a good CAC for you. Uh, in terms of that lifetime value to CAC ratio though, you generally want it to be about three to one, four to one, you know, five to one. So if I can spend three or four times, uh, excuse me, if I can get back three or four times the value from a customer as it takes me to spend to get that customer, that's a pretty good ratio. Um, Obviously we want to, you know, spend the least amount of money in order to get the most clients, but I'll also caution people that sometimes you can get into a situation where that number is actually far too low and you're missing customers because you're not spending enough in order to get volume uh, to make more sales and, and actually increase your total revenue. So Miles, I, that's about as much math as I'm I'm ever going to do on this show. A lot of uh, math. I hope it, I hope it wasn't too much. But that but just again, just to kind of recap, two big things you have to understand inside your business are your cost of acquisition, the lifetime value of a customer. And then from that, we can extrapolate, okay, what's going to be a good ratio of you to spend on your marketing in order to get those customers? And then the next step is we just have to make sure we're tracking all this to make sure the numbers are adding up with what our objectives are uh, and we're actually having success uh, making that that um, ratio go higher for the customer.
1: Awesome, I think that's a pretty good start for you know people okay. starting to get their, their budget together for their marketing. I wanna make a couple of notes and then we'll move on to the next thing here. Uh, again, go ahead, throw your questions, any and all questions, technology, marketing, just wanna ask us how we're doing, throw those in the comments below um, or email us askwildman at wildmanweb.com You can see we've already started answering a couple of things here debbie wanted to throw uh one question in there real quick asking about how we're doing this live stream i know i already hit it for you but i want to go ahead and just say we are using a product called be live um there's a lot of different platforms out there for doing this um and so it's just doing a little bit of research between them because they all have their pros and cons uh, this one was just the best one for us but if you want to check it out um I did put a link there in the comments. Past that, uh, getting more into budgeting here, I did want to talk a little bit more about some of the other kinds of projects that we do. As we did just, um, you know, go over this with uh, a lot of people in the last couple of weeks and different kinds of budgeting. So um, first, on just websites, uh, there's a couple of hidden fees in there that people don't necessarily think about. Um, obviously, the the, the the one-time development cost is going to differ uh, depending on how big your site is and if you need custom functionality bit it, built in there or what platform you're wanting to use um, and, and who you're working with. Um, so that's going to vary widely. But there's a couple of standard costs that always come with websites, and people get a little bit confused about these things. So you are going to start with domain. Domain is the actual address of your website. Ours is wildmanweb.com. Um, this is, you know, what people type into the URL bar in their browser to get to your website. You go through a basic domain registrar. Sometimes people go through uh, GoDaddy or through uh, Google Domains or Namecheap or whatever. There's a ton of them out there, um, and they're really not that much different. Most domains are going to cost you, you know, twelve dollars a year or something. They're very affordable unless you get something very generic like. I don't know, dogs.com or something that's very simple, very generic. Someone else might already have it and they'll sell it for a lot of money. Hosting is another one. It is separate from domains. Hosting, you'll always have to pay for hosting. That is the space your website actually takes up. Um, This can vary widely depending on how much space you need, certain performance enhancing uh, tools or features, security features, So, you know, you can get some super basic economy hosting for a couple of bucks a month, or you can get the super fancy stuff for hundreds a month. Or if you have a large software application that you're wanting to host that does a whole lot of things or needs a whole lot of space, then you're going to have to look at some more custom hosting options, um, dedicated servers, that kind of thing, which can get fairly pricey um going into more software development we just had this talk with a couple of clients a few days ago Um, there are a few strategies for budgeting it out uh, budgeting out software builds that maybe we can go over here Uh, the first i explained is the waterfall method one that is you know everything up front everything about what you're going to build all of of the development details all of the success requirements Uh, and you put that all out at the very uh, beginning of the project, then the development team or whoever's fulfilling on this builds exactly that. There's no room for adjustment um, or changes or anything. So if you have a really good set idea of what you're going to do or what you need, this can be a really good way of doing it. Because there's no changes, there's no room for adjustments, you get uh, very specific, very accurate timeline estimates. Um, and you can cut down on your cost of development because uh, the developers or the team doing this can be very efficient. They know what they need to do up front, and they're going to do exactly that in this amount of time. So again, estimates are going to be more exact there, and you're probably going to save a little bit of time and money going that way, but there's no room for changes or adjustment. The other method, which is probably the more common way of doing things, is the Agile method. Um, This is exactly as the name states it's agile so um, it can change from time to time Uh, typically you have regular meetings weekly monthly daily if you want um, where you make micro adjustments to the plan depending on how things have been going last couple of days or weeks this is often broken up into different sprints or different sections of development where you'll end up with um, an alpha beta or version one through five or something like that So this entire thing allows for adjustments throughout, and it's a good way to get going on something if you don't necessarily know what the final result is going to look like, but it's going to take a little bit more time. It's gonna be a little bit less efficient since you're not taking that direct path, and it's gonna cost you a little bit more. Um, I think those are kind of my notes on on software budgeting there. I don't wanna go too deep into the weeds because most of that stuff is fairly specific towards what you need to build. But those are a couple of things to keep in mind when budgeting some of these things domains and hosting for websites and web applications. Um, and then if you're doing any kind of custom uh, software development, including mobile apps, you can save a little bit of time and money if you know everything up front, but most likely you're gonna go with that, that agile method so that you can uh, you know, make some changes along the way and end up with a better product in the end. But we can move into questions from the comments here. looks like we got one to talk about. One of our regulars is back. Hello, Mr. Jeff Fry. Good morning, Jeff. So is there a target ratio for customer value, also gross or net revenue?
0: Uh, yeah, good question there, Jeff. I'm going to take this as you mean the lifetime value of the customer that, or the, the LTV. Again, there's a couple different ways that people will calculate LTV. A lot of it depends on the, you know, the business model. Like, for example, if you're a SaaS business and you you get, you know, clients pay you monthly. You're going to calculate it probably different than uh, a car dealership, where they may get a customer uh, that comes in every five to seven years to, to purchase a vehicle, or sometimes even longer. Uh, but generally speaking, we're going to be talking about total revenue, so we're going to be talking about gross numbers there. Uh, and then what you want to do is you want to find out what your cost of acquisition uh, cost is, which again, you know that. That, that is, is typically done on uh, sales and marketing gross numbers. So if you have a sales team and you are an ad spend, you, you typically want to put those numbers together, divide that by the number of new customers that they brought in over a time period. Uh, and from that, you can figure out the ratio, which is your lifetime value ratio compared to your cost of acquisition. And generally, if you're around three to four to five to one, you're doing good. Uh, you know, certainly if it's anything less than three to one, you kind of want to re- you want to, you know, re- rethink that unless again, there's you know, caveats to all of this. You know, if it's if it's a long term, you know, type of a branding play and the company's OK with, you know, breaking even on their marketing for a while, then, you know, maybe two to one is fine. But for most businesses, that that's not going to be enough. You know, they're basically just going to be breaking even on their marketing. So you want it a, definitely above that number. Uh, but you also, you know, don't want it so far on the other side of the spectrum that you are losing volume, uh, if that makes sense. So you don't want your your uh, LTV to cost of acquisition ratio to be so crazy high that, well, maybe if I, you know, spent twice as much, I could get many more customers and, of course, more volume equals more sales and more revenue. Uh, so hopefully that answered your question there, Jeff. Let me know if yeah if you had a follow-up to it, though.
1: Feel free to expand on that in the comments and anyone else who wants to ask something, throw it in the comments below. We'll try to get to it. Um, I did want to hit one more kind of piece of news, a follow-up to something I talked about a few weeks ago on this show and that is Google reviews. Um, Google temporarily suspended uh, the reviewing function for businesses during the Uh, during the shutdown, during the COVID-19 epidemic, which I guess we're still in, but now that we're kind of coming out of the shutdown, they have reactivated reviews. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The reasoning behind that, I guess, was they were getting a lot of really bad reviews for businesses because they were closed and people didn't understand that they were required to be closed during the shutdown, or maybe they were operating to a certain extent and different users or different customers didn't think they should be operating Uh, so google decided to just suspend all reviews temporarily a few weeks back they turned on new reviews so that you could go in there and you could start leaving reviews for your business uh, your favorite businesses again Um, but now they've just announced that they're going to be pushing old reviews delayed reviews that were left during the shutdown to your pages. So if you haven't checked on your reviews for a little while, I suggest going back and looking through. There could be a couple of reviews popping up from the last couple of weeks that you didn't see. You may or may not be getting notifications of those because they weren't technically just added. They were just unhidden, sort of. Uh, Mm -hmm. So go back and check. Make sure you're responding to reviews um, and you're you're aware of some of these coming back in. Um, They haven't been too clear about what reviews are going to get Pushed out here. Uh, They've used the word "selective," Um, so that tells me that they might be looking at some of these reviews and I don't know, sort of going through them and deciding if I don't know if there's a human review process or if they have some sort of automation going through to see anything mentioning closures or shutdowns and maybe removing those. So uh, I really don't know, but uh, we'll we'll have to see how things are going because they are doing this area by area and industry by industry. So it could be that. You know a restaurant is starting to get some reviews back but a similar restaurant the next county over won't get it for another week or so um, or the business next to you might start getting their reviews back and it's not hasn't gotten to you or your industry yet so um, if you are a client of ours we've been sending out emails to you notifying you that google reviews in your area and in your industry have started to get published uh, but if you are not a client of ours go ahead and check your reviews make sure Uh, that some old ones aren't just popping up out of nowhere over the last couple of weeks just a little bit of information there uh looks like we got another question in the comments but before we hit that i do want to touch on one thing i forgot at the top of the show um, and that is our local business online toolkit Uh, we are still doing that Um, i think we're going to be doing that through the month of june um, so we'll have to see what we're going to do with this after this. Um, I think it was I mean it was originally crafted for the shutdown, but I think we're, we're going to hang on to this in one form or another moving forward. But for right now, we have a free toolkit uh, of software to help you manage your social media, your websites, your advertising, your SEO, uh, pretty much your entire company's online presence. So uh, go to wildmanweb.com/lbot to sign up there. Uh, Again, it's all just a bunch of free tools, free resources, free analytics um, for anyone who can make use of that. Moving on to the question. Jeff, again, always happy to have you, Jeff. So we did talk a little bit last week about different types of automation, business automation, and mentioned Zapier as a possible tool. Um, how will that work in practical daily use? So specifically Zapier ties into a lot of things. That's kind of their their bread and butter that they um, allow different platforms and different technologies that wouldn't normalize wouldn't normally work together to uh, share data, share information. So that can go from your inbox, your email inbox to your CRM or from your accounting software to your scheduler or you know, whatever you need to do. Um, They have a ton of different integrations in there, and they're always taking uh, requests for new integrations. So if you have an idea of maybe how some things could work together, go to their website, look through some of their stuff, um, and and you might find it's already there, or make a suggestion for something that's not already there. But pretty much if you have two pieces of software um, that is, um, uh, that, that, should be sharing information should be sharing data um you can you can check out and see if that has a a a zap already built in there Um, and then you just go in create an account Um, you'll select your different your different software so your email carrier or your crm or something you'll pick a trigger on there so that's going to be a particular action say a new email comes in or a new customer data is entered into your CRM. And when that happens, something else happens. So when an email comes into your inbox, it takes that information and automatically creates a new entry into your CRM or into your email marketing campaign or whatever you want to do there. And that's sort of the basics of a Zapier account. I hope that I kind of hit what you were getting at there, Jeff. So if you want me to expand on that a little bit more, or Mike, if you want to talk about Zapier and your use over there. I know we've been using it on a couple of marketing campaigns. and
0: uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll just give you, I guess, an, uh, an example of, of how it could be used in, in, in daily practice. And I was just laughing at Jeff's comment. Somebody has to do the heavy lifting there. Yes, Jeff, we're going to probably have to give you an assistant producer credit on this show here uh, before, <laughs> before too long. We appreciate the help. Yes, yeah, so uh, kind of a practical everyday use. You could do uh, Facebook lead generation ads and you could tie that as miles was saying directly into your crm so basically your sales team is going to wake up in the morning and go in hopefully and there's going to be some fresh uh leads there that was totally automated in how it was procured you know uh the the ads went out they found the target audience they just they got the message to them the audience responded to the message they clicked on it. They went through, you know, however we're correct, correct, uh, collecting the leads, excuse me. And then that all seamlessly went, all the information seamlessly went uh, to the salespeople, whoever is utilizing that CRM in order to contact uh, the, the clients or the customers further. Uh, another way that you could do this is through a chat bot. You could set up a chat bot, which I know we've talked about from time to time on the show uh, in various contexts, but uh, you could make, uh, your chatbot sequences sync with something like a CRM or an email list or, you know, you know the possibilities are, are exponential with something like Zapier. So that's just kind of how I guess you could use Zapier uh, to do everyday stuff. Um, it's basically just to connect a lot of these tools, uh, as Miles was saying, into a, a seamless integration for you.
1: Yeah, and definitely want to look at this outside of just your marketing, outside of just um, collecting information. This is a full automation tool. So anything that you find uh, monotonous that you're doing several times a day, every day, you know, moving things from one spreadsheet to another spreadsheet or um, different accounting or reconciliation data, detailing some notes from meetings, setting up um, automatic replies or... I don't know anything that you find sort of monotonous and repetitive throughout the day. Automation can definitely help you out, and Zapier is a nice, easy way to get started. I think that it's a it's a pretty easy tool to work with. There's obviously a lot of different tools out there. Um, this is pretty much you know drag and drop, user friendly. If you want to get into some more advanced automation, maybe we can have a more uh, detailed conversation about that. Hit using things like Auto Hotkey or um, you know, different personal computer automation style type things uh, those can operate at a much higher volume they can do instead of zapier is going to move one email at a time over here a couple of times a day other automations can do 10,000 tasks per second or something like that so if you are getting into that realm of things we should be having a different conversation and you know maybe you can just you can call us on that one and we'll we'll talk a little bit more in depth about different automation options All right, so hopefully we hit that Zapier question for you, Jeff. Again, this is Ask Wildman if you're just joining us here. So um, feel free to throw your questions in the comments below um, or email us at any point at Wildman at wildmanweb.com. And again, we are providing this show as a free resource to anyone who can Use it, um, and we want to reach as many people and answer as many questions as possible. So, if you like this, or you find this useful, please like, share. The more interaction we get, uh, the bigger audience we can reach, uh, and hopefully, the more people we can help, the more resources we can provide uh, to a, a larger, broader audi- audience. So uh yeah i'd like to see this some actual interaction from people in the uh in the comments here so feel free to have your own conversations over there if you know something that we don't we definitely don't claim to be masters of the universe over here so uh we're just trying to get any knowledge that we have out of our heads and into yours so if you know anything about any of this we have uh debbie commenting on her use of zapier here so uh yeah please expand on anything that we have here in the comments All right, moving on to our next question here. If we don't get to your stuff, uh, if we don't get to your question, uh, like I said, email us, askwildman at wildmanweb.com. We'll be looking at that inbox fairly regularly. Here is a little bit of a question over here. Um, I think referencing some stuff we were talking about last week, Looking at traditional advertising versus digital marketing, I think is kind of what we're getting at here, Um, but specifically looking at TV ads and new streaming services, we're starting to see some more local ads and smaller businesses being able to advertise in streaming services like Hulu or I guess who else is doing ads here? Amazon, I think is doing some stuff. And that's kind of a new realm, especially in the small business world that wasn't really accessible for a long time even you know local tv ads can get really expensive you have to produce them um, and then just paying to get to your local tv station was was pretty expensive um, i think less and less people are doing those kinds of ads uh, but these ads and streaming services really weren't made available for a long time and we're seeing updates in them uh, you know weekly at this point point, and their targeting capability and their reach capability and the metrics that you get back I know just starting off, they were saying, you know, you can just sort of pick a network. You can advertise on um, sort of a home uh, network or a food network or something like that. But their targeting is getting much better all the time. So um, we'll have to see where that where that goes. That's definitely a little bit of a moving target right now. Uh, Mike, have you looked into these at all or, uh, you know, putting ads up on streaming services? Do you know anything about this?
0: Oh, certainly, yeah. Yeah, you know quite a bit about it. I don't know if there was a uh, there was if there was an actual question in there. If you just want me to ramble, um, well, but... I was
1: trying to pare it down into a question <laughs> okay. here. But you know, looking at the benefits of doing standard digital advertising, like we were talking about last week with Facebook ads, Instagram ads, that kind of thing, versus uh, traditional marketing, doing TV ads, and then sure. maybe utilizing this as a as a hybrid or some sort of mix between the two, if it was so just be what.
0: What are our thoughts on on return on ads, ads, ad spend potential on those different uh, various platforms? Is that kind of where the questions going then?
1: Yeah, I think so. And just how okay. how realistic is it for for small businesses here? Uh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, let really me just look take, at those.
0: Yeah, let me take the the OTT. So you know, o, OTT or you know, basically, uh, the streaming services is what you're talking about. You're absolutely correct. You know, within the last, I don't know, year, eighteen months, something like that, uh, that has really opened up uh, to small businesses. They're able to advertise on those platforms now. Uh, they're also, you know, able to. Uh, some of the traditional cable companies uh, are also now, you know, offering those services to local uh, small businesses through their, con- you know, their connection to the to the OTT world. And so that has kind of opened the door, if you will, uh, comparably to something like cable television or traditional, you know, print advertising or something or broadcast advertising. Yes, I think that, that is definitely a better uh, return on investment uh, potential than for a small business. You know, we we've talked a little bit about this on the show. Uh, you know, I I tend to soapbox about it a lot when we're talking to clients, uh, but part of the part of what we want to look at here is just the the cost of attention. You know, every single platform is going to work if you can afford to make that platform work for you. Uh, And when we talk about small and medium-sized businesses, a lot of them just get priced out uh, of certain platforms uh, in terms of being able to recuperate a good return on investment or return on an ad spend. Uh, Part of that, I feel like, is because uh, with traditional media, a lot of it is overvalued Based on reach, you know, well, Hey, we can reach a hundred thousand people dot, 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 Okay. But how many small and medium sized businesses need a hundred thousand people to be successful? Very few of them, you know, very few of them. So why am I paying to reach a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand people if I can be successful in a smaller audience that is more my niche audience. Right. And so with the targeting, uh, that's available on things like digital advertising, but also OTT, we can get much more granule than we can uh, with traditional advertising. doesn't mean that you can't uh, have effective campaigns with traditional advertising. You certainly can. Uh, to me, it's just ha- a lot harder to be nimble, uh, if you will, with a budget and be able to track that and making sure that you're effectively getting a good return on investment. Uh, but certainly, yeah, I think that OTT, uh, advertising is going to be a lot better, uh, than your traditional cable. Uh, I would probably still tend, uh, to stick with the, you know, if I was doing media placement buying for a client and again, totally customizable to the pl- to the client, we're just using general, uh, you know, g- general, uh, discussion here. Uh, I would stick to things like live sports, you know, I would stick to things, where it has a whole lot of attention right there in the moment. Uh, you know, the nice thing with OTT is that people can, can watch it on their own time. Uh, but it's, uh, it, it's still, I think, a harder sell to a small business than something like a, a digital media campaign or a social media campaign. Uh, but the main thing that we want to be able to do is making sure that we're communicating on the phone device. Uh, And so that's something that OTT, you know, gives us certainly over traditional advertising is that a lot of people are streaming things on their phone, uh, either because they're out and about, they're mobile, or because they've cut the, they've cut the cord. You know, some people though, they have cable and they still, they'll be out at the lake or whatever. I'm I'm one of these people. So I'm speaking from experience and they'll be streaming something on their phone. Uh, And so I think it's really important that when we're spending our advertising dollars that we're really trying to gauge of how many, how much of the audience is spending time on the phone uh, with this rather than a, a television or a newspaper or a radio or a magazine or some of these traditional uh, advertising. I think it's really, really hard to get a good ROI on that. Um, I don't know if I answered the, the question there, Miles, but yeah, I think uh, so. I
1: think it was more just a general okay. interest. And I'm I don't know uh, about you. I'm really curious to see where this thing goes because, you know, like we we're saying, this is all relatively new, and we're seeing uh, new updates come out of that all the time. So yeah, uh, so we'll make I, sure I, to stay on top of it. I, and-
0: I guess if I had to just do a crude ranking of effectiveness, <laughs> I would say you know, digital media. And when I say digital media, I'm really talking about good content. Uh, social media type stuff. You know, I'm not talking about digital banner ads and stuff like that. Uh, that is is really not that effective. That's probably going to be the best bang for the buck. OTT would be second. Uh, traditional advertising would be last. Um, and you know, I still think that things like the Super Bowl. you know, I know, I know small business can't afford it, you know, but that's a great, you know, talking about cable TV, that thing, that's still a good investment because of the attention. Um, you know, it, but in terms of everyday, you know, advertising on cable and things like that, I think that's really tough. Even if it's live sports, uh, and again, we can debate this to the cows come home. Uh, I don't. I haven't checked the rates. You know, last year of what it was to be in the KU basketball games. You know, but something like that that would make me definitely take pause and consider it for a client uh, because of because that's reach that that is is worth paying for. You know, I don't think everyday reach is, is worth paying for uh, necessarily. So and, and here's an here's an interesting just psychological tidbit for everybody out there. And for you, Miles, I know, Miles, you don't you're not a big sports guy like I am. But you you probably I when things sport, get back, <laughs> when things get back to normal and we're having social engagements and stuff like that again, next time you're at a house party and you're watching a game or maybe if it's just with your family, watch what happens when the commercials come on and it's a timeout or a halftime or something like that, even the Super Bowl, watch it. Because you know, everybody says, you know, that's why I think the Super Bowl is a good investment because every, you know, the, the commercials are even celebrated on the Super Bowl. But watch what people do now. And I bet the majority of the time, you will witness people take out their phones. They take out their phone and they go to Twitter, they go to Facebook, they go to wherever their platform is and they talk about what happened in the game. That didn't happen five years ago. You know, and so I think that there's a huge paradigm shift and a lot of people got caught and they're paying an exorbitant amount of money to for reach when the actual eyeballs aren't there anymore when they need it, which is during the commercial breaks. You know, the eyeballs are, are shifting and, and people engage now more than ever. So they want to talk about what just happened in the game. They want to talk about the commercial that just happened. So uh, it, it's hard for small businesses Uh, I think to justify the expenses uh, that go along with that, but I'm really intrigued by OTT and I want to learn more uh, about what the, you know, what the cost of acquisition is on those platforms.
1: That's the fun part about what we do. I think, is you know, technology is always moving, always changing. It's, I think the factor that stresses people out about it, but you know, we love it. We like to stay on top of all that stuff and uh, you know, learn about the newest, best thing coming out next year and try to, try to stay ahead of that. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, quick note here, um, you know, like I said, please throw your questions in the in the comments here or email us at wildman uh, wildman at wildmanweb.com. Uh, we're on here every Wednesday at 11. Um, we do have another question came in here. Good, timely question. Um, I think you hit on a couple of different things here. So probably going to break this down into like, three different answers here I apologize but Debbie how are you seeing your clients change and adapt due to both the pandemic and the protests in terms of digital ads social posts are people pausing ads or is it business as usual so I'll I'll start with this and then you know Mike you can take it and uh, take or give us your take on it but I think um, you know the reactions that we've been seeing are are very different uh due to to those two things, so I'll take the pandemic first. Um, this is more of a long-term thing. I think right when it first hit, we saw uh, a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction of people pulling away, trying to put push pause and everything. They didn't know where everything was going, um, and so uh, there was there was a bit of a blip there with with people's long-term strategy when they're talking about marketing or if they're talking about um, doing a new development, making a new app, or something like that. Everyone's long-term thinking kind of got pushed to the back burner there for just a moment. But then it came back, and as people kind of figured out what was going on here, um, that that shifted. Um, and one of the biggest things that we have talked about over the last couple of weeks is that you know people have really changed their behaviors so as far as um, you know interacting with digital media, with social media. There's a lot more eyes on their phones. A lot of people, uh, just sitting on Facebook all day. So there seems to be an uptick of just general attention, I think. Um, and so that's kind of shifted some people's, um, advertising strategies for sure. Um, it's, it's affected costs, marketing costs, um, and it's constantly changing. So we'll have to see where that uh, finally lands. But, um, I wouldn't say that, um, you know, it's been a full pause on ads, like you said, or business as usual. It's been a, sh- a shift for sure. Now the protests are a little bit different, and that those are those are much more recent. So we're not entirely sure how things are changing there. Um, there's obviously some um, some different social media habits going on. We saw some. Um, there's some. I don't know um, activities of solidarity. Things like the blackout yesterday that we saw. Um, some different hashtags trending like that. But, you know, I haven't seen enough data surrounding uh, all of this to really make a comment on marketing. Um, I know that a couple of businesses have changed their practices. Um, and I, I know of at least one of our clients that temporarily shut down in solidarity with the protests. Um, so there's definitely been varied reactions across the board. Uh, but I think it's a little bit too soon to comment on more uh on a higher level on on that one, it's just too soon. So we'll have to see where that lands. But Mike, did you wanna throw in your two cents on these two things?
0: Uh, Yeah, sure thing. And and great question, by the way, Debbie, Um, I guess I'll, Miles kind of handled the macro answer there. I'll I'll give you more of the the micro answer. Um, You know, with with our clients specifically, and this is what we've been telling everybody, you know, since the beginning of the pandemic is, if you're in a position to go on offense, you know, now was the time to go on offense, you know, or or then was the time to go on offense, still the time to go on offense, uh, and, and double, triple down on what's working. Uh, if you weren't in the position, you know, if you had cash reserve issues, if you weren't sure, uh, how you were going to make payroll rent, uh, keep the, the goods and services on the shelf, so to speak, well then no, uh, you you really needed to pull back, you know, almost everything, uh, you know, depending on the situation. So, we, we kind of handled that, you know, case by case, uh, scenario, but I would say that most of our clients specifically, you know, went on the offense if they could. And then certainly within the last, I don't know, miles, four to six weeks. I mean, we've been seeing almost all of our, at least clients, you know, going on the offense, people actually spending more, uh, than they were before. And, and even starting whole new projects and, you know, uh, whole new, uh, sectors of their businesses, even, you know, spinning off and rebranding other businesses and, and like r- real growth, uh, which, which may be surprising to hear. Um, you know, we just launched an employment campaign the other day for, for a client because they're exploding, uh, and they have to get employees you know, right now, uh, in order to keep up with the growth. So, but, you know, as Miles said on, on the macro trends, you know, certainly, oh yeah, across the board, people were either slashing their ad budgets or completely removing their ad budgets, which is why we were telling people to go on the offense because uh, there was great opportunity there in terms of you know, the supply and demand of, of things like the Facebook feed and, and things like that. You could get a whole lot of bang for your buck uh, if you were able to. So that's kind of what we were seeing in, in terms of the pandemic from a, a tactical standpoint, uh, certainly from a messaging standpoint. You know, we have uh, shifted, you know, we shifted the focus at first to to storytelling, you know, to just remove all selling whatsoever when we were kind of in the height of the pandemic and just, you know, community outreach and branding and telling our story of who we are, what we do and why we do it for, you know, all of you kind of thing uh, is where we were really trying to, you know, direct most of the messaging, uh, even from our clients that were still open and, and still technically doing business. Uh, and then kind of gradually over the last month or so, we've uh, reversed trends, certainly with the clients that are open for business and trying to balance out more of a, a, you know, a regular sales approach with also doing uh, some branding and some community outreach at the same time. Uh, and then in terms of, of the protests, you know, really, we hadn't seen um, a whole lot of change in strategy on that until this week. Yeah, uh, yesterday, you know, none of our of our clients, you know, posted anything um, unless they were saying that you know they were uh, you know closing or something like that. Uh, so just kind of you know took the day off uh, from social media on the on that. Other than the other than the ads, uh, we didn't pause ads yesterday. Uh, we discussed it with a couple clients, uh, but you know as you as you probably know, you know it, it's it's not the best thing to pause your ads and restart them. Uh, especially since some of them were kind of, you know, early uh, campaigns. Uh, and, and so we decided not to do that uh, yesterday and just just didn't do any uh, actual posts from the page. So, um, uh, and, and then, yeah, you know, I had some clients uh, downtown, you know, you know, Sunday that just, just kind of closed because they didn't know, you know, if the protests were going to be nonviolent, if it was going to kind of go the way that it had gone in, in other cities. Uh, and so we did kind of see, and I even, even heard, re- saw and heard reports of certain businesses even having to board up their windows and, and things like that. So luckily, I, I don't think anybody uh, sustained any damages. So I don't know if that's going to be a case moving forward. Uh, we certainly hope not since a lot of the businesses have been closed uh, for a long time, as we all know, because of the pandemic. But yeah, that's kind of basically uh, what we've been seeing uh, on our side of things.
1: Yeah, so hopefully we hit a hit your question there pretty well. I, I think that it's a really broad question. Like I said, we kind of try to break that down into a couple of things. But um, yeah, been a lot of things going on that really affect uh, business and strategy in the long term. And um, We'll have to see where, where some of this stuff lands. Um, I did want to throw one thing back in here, uh, just sort of calling back to our Zapier discussion. Uh, just to provide a resource. I'll throw a link in the uh, comments here for you guys. Uh, It's just a list of basic automations that you can create with Zapier and examples. Um, They're calling it the Zap Template Starter Pack. So uh, it gives you a general idea of some of the things that you can do in there with Um, you know, automating notes and feedback, surveys, email lists, tracking events, and to-dos. So just wanted to uh, give that to you guys. If you were interested, um, if anything we're talking about there in the automation realm sounded good, then that might be a good link to start with. All righty. I think that that's that's all the questions that we have in here. Looks like oh, we, had, no. we
0: had one. You missed one from Mr. Fry there.
1: <laughs> we had a comment. I'm not sure if this is a question here.
0: Well, it's a question. There's just not a question mark. How would you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, the Frontier Peace Mojo. Wow. All right. We're going to need an explanation <laughs> on that one.
0: <laughs> what?
1: Rebranding what? is what? always fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is, go uh, ahead, Miles.
1: Yeah, no, I was just going to say, across the board, if you are rebranding, throw things out to as many people as possible. So this is a this is a good start here. Mike, your uh your reaction to Frontier <laughs> Peace Mojo? I
0: I'm I'm not gonna. He just added the question mark in there. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Miles. Oh, thank you, thank you, Jeff. Miles is uh, quite the grammar uh, stickler there. Uh, I know I know from experience. No, uh. I, I'm not going to give you a, a, my sub, my subjective opinion about the name, but I will give you my objective opinion about rebranding in general. Uh, my first question would be Jeff. Why, you know, why are you rebranding? Uh, what is the purpose behind that? Uh, is it because of feedback that you've gotten from clients? Is it because of feedback that you've gotten from people who you wanted to be your client that said, no, uh, or is it just, you woke up one day and you said, I hate the name. Uh, so that, that would be my first question, uh, is what are we going to rebrand f- for? Uh, and then the next question I would say, you know, in terms of that name, what is that going to mean to somebody? You know, why, why, A, why did you pick that? If, if we do change the name to Frontier Peace Mojo, why did you pick that? What is it supposed to mean to people? And then let's get some market research based around that. Okay. Let's take 50, 100, 500 people, however many we can find, and ask them, what does this name mean to you? Do you like this name better than the other name? You know, da 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 da. Instead of us trying to make decisions of one, you know, I, I don't like focus groups of one or even two or three or four. You know, let's try to get, I guess, a, a, a bigger, uh, Range of opinions on in on this, but let's also first of all understand of why why do we want to rebrand it? Because you say you hate the name. Okay, now I see your comment there. Okay, but is that an I statement or is that based on what other people think of? Um, because you know I, I get it. You know if you it's your business and if you hate the name then that's going to bug you. But let's also keep in focus that what our objective here is is to communicate effectively with the audience. And so we want to have something that the audience resonates with. Uh, And I'll use a quick example about this. I'm not going to name names. Okay. But maybe from the story, we could all, you know, kind of gleam, you know, what I'm talking about, but in the olden days of Lawrence, there was a beloved restaurant. Okay. A (laughs) breakfast place. Okay. I'm not going to name the name of the business. And everybody loved it. It was packed to the gills from day in and day out, right? Incredibly successful. One day the owner woke up out of the blue and he said, I don't want to do this kind of restaurant anymore. It's not what I want to do. And so he gave up, moved the restaurant, started a whole new concept that was exactly what he wanted to do. And of course, everybody hated it, right? because he wasn't listening to the audience. He was, he was just trying to make decisions on a focus group of one. So you seem focused, you know? So, yeah. So whether or not I like it or whether or not you like it, let's try to flesh that out and get a little bit broader of an understanding of what the greater community and what you, more importantly, your target audience thinks about it, because you may love the new name and your whole audience hates it. And then that's not gonna help your business any. And then that's kind of what I'm getting with uh, w- with that analogy there about, about the restaurant, so. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll take this from a, another angle here, maybe from the technology side. If you are looking for either rebranding or a new business name or something, there's a couple of things that maybe you wanna keep in mind outside of just the marketing side, just the, um, you know, the market research that he was just going into. Um, First of all, um, on the SEO side of things, it is useful to have uh, particular keywords in the name of your business. Um, So if you are wanting someone to look for uh, or someone searching for a particular keyword to land on you, then consider maybe uh, including that keyword or similar keywords in the actual name of your business. So uh, some people think that it might be Unoriginal original or something to include something a little bit more generic. Um, you know, you, you have Joe's Plumbing Service or something. Maybe that's not the most creative name out there, but you have a very important keyword in the name of your business, which is most likely going to be on all of your business listings. It's going to be in your, uh, on your social media. It's going to be on everything that you talk about. Uh, just by by default, you're giving yourself great SEO for that particular keyword set um another one is to check it across social media it's really nice it's not an absolute must here but it's really nice to have the same handle across all of your social media accounts Uh, so like we have at Wildman web for most of our stuff um so i'm going to throw a tool here in the comments for you that's namechecker.com and you can just throw in the name of your business Um, or the the handle that you might want to use, and it'll check it across a ton of different websites, including different domains with different extensions, .com, .net, .org, .io. I'm seeing here. It's checking handles across Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, Slack, Spotify, Pinterest, Blogger, everything. Um, It'll just give you a quick rundown of available or not, and uh, that might be a deciding factor um, if someone already has this name. Um, or maybe they've already used a particular handle on a lot of the social media channels that you like to use. So go ahead and leverage that tool real quick if you're thinking about rebranding or just coming up with a name for your new business. That's my two cents in there on the technical side of things. Uh, Probably not exactly what you were looking for there, but hopefully some useful information (laughs) for someone. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's it. So thank you, everyone, for participating today. Um, Everyone who threw questions in there, if we didn't get to you, I apologize, but we will be back next Wednesday at 11. So email your questions to askwildman at wildmanweb.com, and we'll get to you first thing next week. Um, Yeah, I think that's it from us. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for your time, as always.
0: Yeah, thanks, everybody. Good questions today and good discussion, and have a great rest of your week.
1: All right. That is it for us today. So thank you. We'll see you all next week, Wednesdays at 11. We're on here every week uh, answering your questions about business, technology, marketing, whatever you want to ask. Um, so please uh, send your questions to wildmanweb.com or just jump on our next live stream and we'll talk to you then.
0: Thanks for listening to Ask Wildman. Send us a question for next week's show at Wildman at wildmanweb.com.